Okay, um, we're going to get going uh, with Gordy speaking to us today. Um, but before we begin, I will read the text for today from John chapter 1. So John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to, G to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning round, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. This is the good news of Christ. I'll pray for Gordy. Thank you, Lord, for Gordy. Thank you, Lord, for his faithful service here to us. God, I pray that you speak to us through his words today. We may know more about you and become a little more free, experience your life a little bit more abundantly today. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Test one, two. Test one, two. <laughs> So thank you, Nathan. Um, just uh, while I'm thinking of this, uh, Nathan mentioned that there are some Missions Fest speakers you might recognize. There's one named Kirsten Pontelti, who's going to be uh, part of a, a panel and a seminar. And the information is in your bulletin, 5 o'clock on the Saturday. So mark that date and be there. OK. We know who you are. Yeah. So we'll, 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 get it, we'll get it out. We'll post some more this, this week. So very important seminar uh, just on uh, providing uh, safe places in our churches and ministries, uh, especially in light of the Me Too movement and Time's Up. Uh, we're finding this is just as big an issue in the church as, as outside. So very important topic, and just really appreciate 
uh, Kirsten uh, engaging in that and, and the work she's done. So uh, I had Nathan read the text because I wanted to kind of you to get the bird's eye view of this story. We're going to work our way through it. We're, we're in a series for a couple of weeks. It's actually part of our stories in the story that Nathan will continue next Sunday. I'm, I'm just kind of providing a bit of a foundation. And we're looking at, this is the season of Epiphany, and we want the, the readings from the lectionary that we are going through, which we read this morning. We've read from John. We've read from Psalm with hundreds of millions of Christians or maybe more around the world today who are going through the story of Jesus together. And I really felt that the season of epiphany, the word epiphany means unveiling or revealing. And, and it's, it's like God shedding light on who he is and who we are and who Jesus is and, and reminding us of our story to orient us as we go into this year and into this next decade. So I wanted to open with a question. I mentioned last Sunday we, were, uh, we, we have a, a, a young woman who's, who's preparing, uh, redoing our logo. So she asked us a bunch of branding questions as a church. And be beautiful questions, great questions. It really stimulated me and stirred me and inspired me to write. And I'm, I've kind of been referring to them over the last few months. But one of the questions she asked was this. Why would an unchurched person want to attend our church? And as I was thinking about this week, this week I thought that's, that's a bit of an unfair question because there are people on so many different levels of need. And, you know, some people last week, they would just want to come to our church to get warm, right? Um, or have a cup of coffee um, or have a place to sleep. And whereas others, you know, it, it might be our great snacks, our great shared meals, our great worship, that amazing teaching, um, or that awesome kids program with those, those amazing servant leaders that serve our kids and that great welcome team we've got. There's all kinds of reasons, and these are all good reasons, but I, I want to address today what I think is a deeper existential reason that exists in our neighborhood. I had a couple just walking off the street, and, and uh, they've asked me to marry them in May. And it's so cool, just absolutely, just because just the church is here, and they live over there, and, and uh, it's just so fun. And I want to do the same for spiritual direction. I want to offer spiritual direction as a form of evangelism. Like just, because what is, what, is, what is evangelism? It's not some colonizing of another person's beliefs. Evangelism is helping people understand how God's been at work in their story. And uh, that's the exciting thing, I think, for people. And um, so let me answer this question with another question. And it's this. In the creation story, when God made everything, what did he do at the end of each day? What did he say? It's good. What was the first time that God said it wasn't good? It's not good for humans to be alone. The little Hebrews, for humans to be alone. And guess what? That was before the fall. There was already something not good before sin came. And remember, Adam, the human one, had everything. He had God. He had creation. 
And yet God said, it's not good. And so, as being made in the image of God as human beings, we are social beings because God, and the theological term for, for God is often called the social trinity. That God has never been this solitary being from eternity past. That God has been this mystical, mysterious, but wonderful, loving, intimate, passionate, divine community of love. And some of you have seen the Celtic triplex that we use to symbolize the Trinity. It's just this intertwining. I, I got Kathleen a plant for her birthday, and I found out that it, I loved it when I looked at it. I found out it's called a money tree. It's the gift that keeps on giving. That's my hope and my faith. But it's so beautiful because it's been somehow, you know, uh, groomed so that these, these uh, stems just wind around each other. It's like three in one, Trinitarian plant. And so this is why we exist. We were never, we were made for a relationship, rather, to be in community. We were never intended to be on this journey with God alone. And what I found with this couple as they came in and we talked, I found there's this spiritual hunger, this hunger for spirituality, this hunger to know God. But the fact is, we can't journey with God alone. We were made to do this together. We need each other to recognize, to see, and to hear God in our story. We need each other to respond to God in, in ways that are loving and wholesome. I can't do this alone. And neither can you. This is why we exist as the VEV. This is why unchurched people would want to come. Because it's an invitation to journey with God together. And even Jesus, as God who became human, he was God, but he was a human being. He was the most human person who ever lived. He, he lived out a full and wholesome humanity. He came to show us what God was like, but what it was to be human that in many ways they're one and the same. You can't separate it. It's amazing. What is humans that you're mindful of? The sons of humans, children of humans, that you would visit them. And yet he demonstrated in his life that he needed John the Baptist. Did you notice that? That Jesus, even though he was ordained by God, when the Pharisees came and challenged him about his authority, he said, well, John the Baptist. Isn't that interesting? He pointed them to John the Baptist. He said, was he from God or from humans? So a critical aspect of our 2020 vision is understanding the relational and social communal nature of our calling and existence as a church. And our epiphany text today just breathes this. It just lives. It just breathes communal relationship and intimacy and interconnection and interdependence. It's so beautiful. Just how we are, as Chief Seattle used to say, we're in this web of life. So let's walk through it together. It says the next day, and we're, we're assuming that Jesus was already baptized by then. It seems like he was already, had already been baptized by this point. John, as the closest friend of Jesus in his life, gives us some insight into the life of Jesus that we don't see in the other four or the other three Gospels. And it's fascinating. A lot of it is so relational and intimate. And John, it says he saw Jesus. This is another John, not John, uh, uh, John the Beloved. This is John the Baptist. He saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, look, 
The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it, it, it could very well that be that Jesus had already been baptized and had his time in the wilderness and come back. It, it's, it's very possible that scholars argue about the timing of this. But it, was, it seems that Jesus had already been baptized. So what's this business of the Lamb? The Lamb is a picture of innocence and sacrifice. Some people say, well, that's, you know, the sacrificial lamb for our sins. But in the Old Testament, the lamb never was a sacrifice for sins. Other animals were used. Of course, for Israel, the lamb was important in Paschal, in Passover. You know, when, the, when uh, the, the death angel passed over Egypt. And it was part of the Passover. But the lamb, it's more a picture of the character and nature of Messiah. It's more the, the picture of of gentleness, of humility. And, there, and the reference is to Isaiah 53, where it talks about him just going to the, to, to the uh, slaughter and not even opening his mouth. So number one, gentleness and humility. Number two, sacrifice and giving self-giving love. And it says, he takes away the sins of the world. And I, I looked at the, the Greek in this, and it's literally to draw up and take sin out. That's why Jesus came. He came to take sin out, to lift it up. It's almost like a, an infection that you have to put, a, put heat on it, and it draws it out, and then you take it away. So Jesus' mission was profound in, his, in its Holistic approach. And the, the word sin here is very interesting. The, the assumption here in John's statement is that we as human beings are in trouble. And it's been interesting. Uh, we have a German homestay daughter who's attending Templeton School. And it's just been interesting to walk with her through Remembrance Day from a German perspective. And, and a, a number of her friends, we've had these long conversations where they're so baffled by human evil. They're baffled by this paradox of, uh, as human beings, for the most, for, by our capacity for the most incredible noble deeds on one hand, and yet the most horrific evil on the other hand. The Holocaust, colonialism, residential schools, slavery, racism, misogyny, human trafficking, Oppression. So we've watched a number of movies together. We watched Schindler's List on Remembrance Day, and then we watched uh, Selma this week. Oh my gosh, I want to talk about Selma. Because I think Selma is, which is, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with the show, it's the story of Martin Luther King and the march from Selma, Alabama to Birmingham. And this is the paradox of the human condition. We are created in the image of God above every other creature, lower only than God himself, yet we are in desperate need. We, we've all sinned and we need a savior, the lamb who will take away our sin. Now, if you're raised as evangelicals, when you hear languages this, like this, you start to zone out. Your eyes glaze over and you go, yeah, yeah, I've heard it all before. We're bad, God got mad, so he spanked Jesus instead of us. And now we get a free pass to heaven. Dallas Willard calls it barcode Christianity. It's kind of where if you say the right thing, believe the right thing, you go to heaven, barcode, stamp them, get them in. 
has nothing to do with a journey, has nothing to do with relationship. It's just about believing and saying the right thing. And I'm afraid a lot of our Christianity, particularly in the West, has really suffered because of that, the quality of our lives. But for me, this whole idea of, of sin has taken on a much more nuanced meaning in the past few years. Because the Greek translation is often simplistically uh, translated missing the mark. It's like an archer shooting a, an arrow and it doesn't hit the target. It, it goes off the target. It's like a bad shot. But there's more to the word than that. The word hamartia is the word for sin and it means no part of or no share in. So the missing the mark part isn't about doing something bad, although that might be the fruit. The missing the mark part has to do with what your action has been energized by. Is it energized by you, independent of God, or is it energized by intimacy and relationship with God? So the root of our sin is not bad behavior. The root of our sin is we decided to disconnect from our source. It's independence. That's why Jesus came to us. And he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me, for without me you can do nothing. So even when you do good things, if they're not in connection with God, you can become so quickly like the Pharisees where you're so proud of all your good things and you look down at everybody else. And that's why Jesus had so much trouble with the Pharisees because the sinners, since he came as a friend of sinners, I think one of my favorite verses in the, in the, in the New Testament is that God... I'm going to try to say this without crying. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. Why? Because he knew the sins wasn't the issue. The issue was they were out of connection, out of relationship with the creator. He said, no, don't worry about those sins. I'll take care of those. Let's just get connected again. And so he loved the sinners, he loved the prostitute, he loved the tax collector, the criminals. He was crucified with criminals. Because he said the healthy don't know their need of a physician, but the sick do. Disconnection. Wow. So Jesus came to remove that root of independence. And it plays out in our relationships with each other. It's not just a God-me thing. Because what happens when we become independent of God, we there's two fruit of, of this independence. Number one is idolatry. It's the biblical word for when we replace our love for God at the center of our lives for ourselves. And we become the center and we create idols to serve us. Money, sex, and power would be the way that we would summarize those idols. And the second category of behavior in this independence is oppression and injustice. Because we start, instead of loving people and using things to love people, we start loving things and using people to serve our idols. So hence colonialism. Hence oppression, hence injustice, hence misogyny, hence racism. And, and so Jesus came to remove this by reconnecting us to the source. 
said, listen, I can, I'll deal with your sin. You got guilt. I died on the cross for that. I'll take care of it. I've removed any sense that you have. You can't come to God. Look at the cross. As we sang this morning, I've taken care of it. There's no, even if it's in your own mind, it's taken care of. Come to me. There's nothing that can hold you back now. The veil's been torn. So Jesus came to remove this disconnection, to restore us to relationship with God, which cannot be separated from restoration to relationship with each other. And he came not as a militant warrior, but as the lamb. Even in Revelation, some people just don't get that Revelation's apocalyptic imagery. And they go, yeah, the lamb. Have you ever seen a lamb go, yeah, the lamb doesn't do that. Lamb's gentle, humble, but he came. Remember where, where John wept and he said, who's worthy to loose the scrolls? And they said, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's prevailed to open the scrolls. And I looked and I saw a lamb. Where's the lion? I saw a lamb. It's the nature. That is what overcomes. And I saw this in Selma where they were there. The American government had authorized everybody to vote. They'd given the African Americans the vote. But there were pockets in this, in Alabama, in the southern United States, where they were putting all of these restrictions on being able to vote. You had to, you know, pay money. You had to be able to recite all kinds of stupid lists. And, and they were just, the judges and the courts were just making it really difficult. So Martin Luther King deliberately picked Selma. And the reason he picked Selma to march from uh, Selma to Alabama to raise awareness because he knew that this place was particularly racist and the, uh, the police were particularly brutal to African Americans. Incredible courage. But he picked that area and they chose to walk nonviolently. And, and when you watch the show, it's just full of gospel. It's just full of the good news. The, 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 the New Testament, the teachings of Jesus and one of my favorite scenes is when the uh, African-American grandpa had lost his grandson due to police brutality. And Martin Luther King walks in, and he's a, he was a pastor. Just walks in, and he, he's just with him. And he says to him, there's, there's nothing to say right now, except that God was the first to cry, and he's just with him. And then this white pastor, that white pastor from Boston, he's my hero. He came down and marched with him, and he was beaten to death by some people who said, you know, there's only one thing we hate worse than a nigger. It's a white nigger. And they killed this, this pastor from Boston, beat him brutally. So Martin Luther King took with women and children in total vulnerability with the police, with their batons. And one of my favorite quotes by him, other than I have a dream, is where he said, you can hit us with your batons. You can spray us with your fire hoses. You can sick your dogs to bite us, but you cannot make us hate you. We will keep loving you. And they walked across that bridge, and halfway they saw all the police standing there waiting for them, and all of a sudden all the police parted on each side. It was kind of shocking. They thought there was going to be this violent confrontation. And when he, Martin Luther King saw that, he stopped. He got on his knees. And everybody on the bridge got on their knees and they prayed. 
And then he got up and turned around and went back. And he got criticized. He got criticized by people on his own, you know, who were with him. Why did you do that? It's cowardly. Look, they opened the door. We could have gone. But he, he just said he felt the Holy Spirit tell him just, just to turn back. A few days later, Lyndon Johnson passed legislation that took away all those restrictions. And they marched to Selma, gave that great, or to Montgomery, gave that speech. But I just saw the spirit of the lamb in the whole story. That's the spirit of the lamb. It's not a spirit that just allows evil to run rampant. It's, it's not a spirit that doesn't confront evil. It does. But it's how you do it. It's in the spirit of the lamb. And that's what Jesus came to do. And when he died on the cross, he said, it is it is finished. Chain shall he break. For the slave is our brother, we sang at Christmas time. And in his name, all oppression will cease. The lamb. Well, that's a sermon in itself, isn't it? There you go. That's one verse. So, moving along. This is the one John said, I meant when I said... A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. That's strange. Uh, our homestay daughter has a twin sister, from, and she's doing her uh, exchange in Calgary. So she came for a few days last week, and they're identical. Seriously, sometimes it was just like it, it caused a real head trip at the school when she attended school with her at Templeton. And, uh, but the... The, our homestay daughter is one minute older than her sister, and she reminds her of that continually in order to get the uh, needed respect. It's very cute. So John is kind of saying, like, uh, listen, I'm older than this guy, but actually he was before me. And there, there's, there's, there's insight there that he begins to recognize that Jesus' pre-existence as the cosmic son of man, son of God, from, that, from the Old Testament. The ancient of days has come. And he goes on to say, I didn't know him. Now, he knew him because they were second cousins, so there had to be some uh, knowledge. But what he's saying, I didn't understand the full significance of, he was, of who he was. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Which reminds us that a lot of our journey, there's mystery. It involves faith. It involves not knowing. And we have to just, it's, it's like a, a flashlight in the dark forest, and you don't see like a spotlight. You just see the next step. And that's all that John was doing. And then he gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Now, I don't know about you, but all my life, I've always had the sense that when Jesus was baptized and the heavens were open and the dove came down and the voices, that everybody heard it. But the more I look at this, I get a sense that not too many people saw that. I get a sense that maybe it was just John and perhaps Jesus. But John was noticing. He was paying attention. He was attentive. There was some spiritual direction going on here. Spiritual direction means that we, 
We need each other to recognize what God is saying and God's invitations to us. And I've really felt that God's invitation to us as we move into this decade is to have eyes to see, to attend to our vision, to attend to our hearing. Uh, I felt this is the call to the major focus of my life in the next 10 years, is this area of spiritual direction, which as a reminder is with the assumption that the Holy Spirit is our director, or the, the premise rather, it is hearing, discerning, and responding to God's initiatives of love towards us, always with the help of others. So God is always initiating towards us in love. God is always working. Jesus said, my father always works. But we need help because we go through large gaps in our life where we feel like he doesn't, don't we? Feels like he's not working. Where are you, God? We need each other to encourage each other, to affirm, to name what God is doing in our lives. And we see John doing this for Jesus and as a testimony to the audience. So there's this beautiful transition that happens in John's life and ministry, as well as in Jesus at this point. really touches me. It says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. Does anybody know who those two disciples were? His disciples. It says, John's disciples. One's, his name was John, later to be known as John the Beloved, and Andrew, Right? When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now, this didn't stop. What happened is John's church started to really shrink. And Jesus' church started to really grow. And when John, some of his, you know, some of his board members came to him and said, hey, our offerings are going down. What are we going to do? And John said, you know what? You know what I am? You know who I am? This is, this is just so strong in me today. Do you know who we are? We're friends of the bridegroom. He said, that's who I am. It was a picture of this guy who's, who's a friend of this man and a friend of this woman, and he loves them both, and he introduces them to each other. And through that introduction, they fall in love, and they get engaged, and then they get married, and at the wedding, the friend of the bridegroom is there, and he's just as happy as everybody else, because he's seeing the joy. And this is what John saw. He said to that, I'm not worried about my, my thing shrinking, and that, that's not it. I'm here as a friend of the bridegroom. And the friend of the bridegroom isn't possessive, doesn't hold on, let's go. It's our posture. With open hands, we welcome. And with open hands, we give away. Because we're friends of the bridegroom. And so, he uh, releases the bride to the groom. He says, you're not mine. You're his. And I believe this is formative for our vision as a community. What if we carried this in our hearts as a church? We're invited into the joy of helping people find God in their story. And how that story is part of God's story and making everything right again. It means welcoming and embracing and, mean, and creating margin, which is costly, to be lovingly present 
We can't do it for everybody, but it means we do it for some. And it means letting go when it's time with an open hand. It means continuing to walk with our friends in lower post, even though they're three days drive away. And even if you fly, it still feels you got to drive another day just to get there. And it's minus 60 this time of year. And our name isn't on anything. It doesn't say vineyard anywhere. Hallelujah. Because we're just friends of the bridegroom. We're just walking with that community. We're encouraging them. We're helping them. We're encouraging them in their vision to tear down that old band office, which is the old residential school where 80% of the boys were sexually abused by Christian leaders. And we're walking with them in a journey of mutual healing. And we don't have to control it or possess it. We just have an open hand as friends of the bridegroom. So I love this. Jesus turns around. He says, what do you want? I think that's a great question to go into this year. Huh? And into this decade, what do you want? They said, get ready. They said, still haven't found what I'm... Okay. Uh, so this word want is pretty strong. Pretty strong word. It's the same word as ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. So there's a, there's a zeal and an ardency and a passion. So it's not like, you know, I feel, you know he's preaching a bit long. I'm getting hungry. I've feel like lunch. It's deeper than that. All right? So I was listening about this podcast this week, and they talked about all these surveys have done on happiness, and they wanted to prove that money doesn't give you happiness, and they found out that money does give you happiness in these, in these uh, studies. <laughs> but it was the demographic that money that, that's important. It was people who were living on the edge. They were in poverty. People who didn't know where they're going to get their next meal or where they're going to live or where they're going to get clothes or help their kids. And what they found is when those basic needs were met, money no longer was an issue for happiness. It didn't make you happy. So God cares about these basic things, doesn't he? But once we get there, there's this longing we have for this community, for this relationship, for this sense of belonging. And what I love about this Gospel of John is John's version so fills in gaps. This, we never hear about this story in the other Gospels. All we hear is Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee and sees John and James and he goes, follow me! And, you know, and they drop their nets and they follow. We don't get all the, the pre-stuff that happened, the relational hard work that happened. And what I love about this is Jesus says, they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, there's a whole bunch of nuance in that question. And maybe it was a little bit of a cover for like, awkward, where do you live? Right? So he says, come, and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. What I love about John is it starts with Jesus' discipleship in hospitality, and it actually ends in hospitality. Here he has these guys over. They spend the day. It's 4 o'clock. I mean, there's a lot of time left in that day. They spend the day together, and then in John 20, when they fished all night, he says, come and eat. So I don't know how he got that fish in the frying pan, or if there was a frying pan. <laughs> but I think, I think he kind of went, 
and a fish just leaped right up in the... <laughs> so when they came back here, they'd been fishing all night, you know. But the fish was ready. He said, come and eat. There's just something about hospitality that does something that nothing else can do. There's something about how it allows you to um, know people. Uh, Remarkable things happen when you open your home. As we've been experiencing with our international students. Just God's story after God's story. But it's never easy. Hospitality is hard work. Hosting people in your home. But I believe it is one of the most significant ways to invite the kingdom of God. It helps you to be present and attentive to God at work in people's lives and no other, and no other way can. And maybe you're in a place in your life where you can't do that physically right now, but there's more to hospitality than just an actual physical space. It's a, it's a spiritual space. It's a creating space in your heart. And often we use the term third space. You can find third spaces, kind of between public and private, where you connect. But it's, it's creating space and room in your life to be present to people. And this is what Jesus did, and this is where his discipleship began. So Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon, which means reed, remember, blowing in the wind? And he told him, we found Messiah. What is? That is the Christ, Christos. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and he said, you are the reed, that's what you're called, son of John, but you will now be called rock, Petrus. So Jesus named what he saw God at work doing in Peter's life. A lot of mess still. He had to look through, he had to have laser x-ray vision because Peter continued to be kind of like this through the whole gospels, didn't he? But he became rock. He became Petrus. And it's when we are present and with people and not hurried. You cannot build relationships with speed dial. You cannot build relationships with um, text messages. Right? With Facebook. I'm not saying they're wrong, but they, they don't take the place of being present. And it takes time and hard work. And it means putting boulders in your life and saying, this is a value. This is a priority. And I will fight for this because that is the nature of the kingdom. So we're being invited to see and receive the inbreaking kingdom of God. And as the beloved community, extend a radical welcome and hospitality to our neighbors and loved ones. Attentive to God at work and their stories. Why would somebody come to our church? Why would they want? Because they know there's people that see them. That's what grandparents do. That's what I love about grandparenting. Because when I was parenting, I was too busy to see my kids like I could just watch my grandkids. And they know that I see them. Now, I'm getting better at seeing my kids too, but it's, it's a, such a gift to be seen and have somebody name what they see. So if Jesus said to you, what do you want as you go into this coming season, what would your response be? What do you long for? What, what resistance and aversions do you feel in light of God's invitation to live more deeply into the beloved community? 
and to be more inclusive of others in community. There's, there's barriers to this, isn't there? It's, it's not easy. It's costly, especially in a city like ours. Well, you've got to pay the rent and your mortgage. Or it's just the cost of living. My grocery bill in the last year, boom! Go, what? I don't think I'm eating anymore. What obstacles do you have to seeing God in your own story, in the story of others? Maybe you guys can help me. I, sometimes when I'm preparing a sermon, this crazy thing ha- happens where a song will just start wafting through my head. And I thought, oh, this is hokey. But this week, these words came through my head, and I just started belting it out. Lean on me. Come on, sing it. When you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on, for it won't be long. I'm going to need someone to lean on. So there you go. That's the benediction. So I love the words. I, I, I've, I've heard the song all my life. I'm that old. And, um, you know, Sometimes in our lives, we all have pain. We all have sorrow. But if we are wise, there's always tomorrow. Please swallow your pride if I have things you need to know. For no one can fill those of your needs that you won't let show. So there's a sense of vulnerability. And Jesus lived that way. And he, he was friends to these guys. So the, the essence of this kingdom was friendship. And, 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 they, and he needed them. We see it in the garden, but I'm sure it happened many times. I need you guys. I can't do this without you. Right? That's the beautiful invitation of this kingdom. And it's, it's not apart from God, and it's not apart from each other. It's this beautiful Trinitarian social community. Uh, Please swallow your pride if I have things you need to know. For no one can fill those of your needs that you won't let show. You just call on me, sister, when you need a hand. We all need somebody. I might just have a problem that you'll understand. So, I love this verse. If there's a load you have to bear... I'll be right up, the lo- uh, right up the road. I'll share your load if you just call me. So there's just so much of a kingdom in that. It's just beautiful. Love that. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, God of love, intimacy, relationship, community, and connection, you've invited us into this beloved community to be an instrument, Lord, of, yes, of justice and of righteousness and to make this world right. But first of all, you called us because you wanted to be with us. Lord, it says you called those disciples to be with you. You've called us because you want to be with us. And I just feel to ask some of you, what does that do in you if you understand God didn't call you to use you He called you because he wants to be with you. He loves to be with you. 
That's his highest joy, his highest delight. And yes, things overflow from that and blessing others in the world and bringing righteousness and justice and mercy and goodness. But I, I feel like I, the Lord is inviting us into expand. The only way I can think of it is expanding our space for hospitality this year. And um, we have some anointing oil. And I want to anoint you with oil today. Because I think it's a grace. I think it's a charism of the Holy Spirit. But he's a hospitable God. Gracious, welcoming. He's made a space for us right in the Trinity, in that social Trinity. So if you just, I don't know, take a bit of a risk here, but if you're here and you just kind of feel like the Lord is inviting you to step into a, a deeper level of hospitality without a bunch of rules and sh shoulds and oughts, but just, just that invitation to receive his love and just to give that away, I want you to just stand up right where you are. Just to, um, just as an expression of faith, God. It's got to be Him. But it's who God is. The social trinity. The social, loving, intimate, passionate trinity. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come? Lord, we're all overwhelmed by life and just surviving and just trying to make ends meet and different ways that may look like in our lives, but we're all fighting giants that want to keep us hurried and distracted. And God, we long to be present and close to each other. So Holy Spirit, would you just come? I'm just going to uh, anoint you with oil. And uh, do you have one, hon? Can you help me? You, yeah, me too. So we're going to anoint each other. So as my life partner and best friend, we just agree for a greater capacity of hospitality. Thank you for the beautiful home you've given us together. Thank you for the opportunity, this, just this incredible window that we are in this time to advance the kingdom. I think her smells a little bit better than mine, just saying. You can anoint me. Yeah. <laughs> it's not garlic oil. <laughs> That'd be good for lower posts to keep the mosquitoes away. Is anybody allergic to lavender? There's lavender in this one. Okay, this is olive oil. Everybody okay? You have to do these things these days, don't you? All right. In Jesus' name. The social trinity.